Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast, the final episode of 2021. And what a year it's been, and what an episode we have for you today in the year-long finale. Today, we are going to be joined by the executive producer of The Simpsons, Matt Selman, and the writer for The Simpsons, Brian Kelly, as these men were kind enough to put me on the first Simpsons episode of 2022, which airs Sunday night, January 3rd, me, Bart, Marge, Homer, hamming it up on The Simpsons. Check it out if you get the chance Sunday night, and we'll talk to Matt Selman and Brian Kelly about their interaction with sports figure celebrities and their work on The Simpsons for over two decades. And then we will be joined by the man that came up with something that I think is incredible. It's called Champion Causes, and his name is Michael Gelkin, and he's a staff writer for the Dallas Morning News, and he covers the Dallas Cowboys, and he had the brilliant, and I mean brilliant idea, to come up with a charity, essentially a charity, called Champion Causes, which essentially shines a light on each football player's preferred charity so that the football players that win you, your fantasy football championships have money donated to their charities. And he's done an incredible job for Champion Causes. It's an annual holiday campaign that connects fans, athletes, and the communities they share. Michael Kelkin of the Dallas Morning News, bringing it all together and explaining what went into this idea of putting it all together. And as we end the year, there obviously has been a huge surge in COVID cases across the country, across the NFL. If you look at the figures in the NFL, just alone, it's incredible to think how much COVID has infiltrated the sport, no different than society itself. Think about this. Last year, from the start of the regular season through the Super Bowl, there were 262 player positives all year, all year. This year already, In the month of December alone, there are more than 400 player positives. So we're talking about 140 more, at least player positives, just this month alone than all of last football season. And it's hit everybody. And here's a little bit of breaking news. I'm going on the reserve COVID-19 list. I popped. My family popped. We all tested positive together. And I knew last week. When I was doing Get Up, that was my sign that something was wrong because as I was doing the show and was struggling to get through my answers and felt awful, just felt awful. I knew something was wrong. There have been two times that I've done Get Up where I felt like I can't do this. And this is coming from a guy who never missed a day of school in his life, who always got the perfect attendance award because I wasn't good enough or talented enough to play football, but I was durable enough and filled with enough stamina to always go to school and always have perfect attendance. And that's one thing I've always prided myself on is never missing work. Well, there's a day a few years ago where I was doing get up and I felt like, wow, I should not be doing this. I feel awful, miserable, nauseous, stomach ache, terrible. And of course, later that day, um, I had appendicitis and I passed a kidney stone a few days later. And that was a sign that I probably should have been doing get up. And then last week I was doing get up on Thursday, having a hard time breathing and just didn't feel right. And of course, didn't feel well all weekend, 
My family didn't feel well all weekend. And Sunday night, as I was watching the Dallas-Washington game, my wife walked into the room and it was almost like she had an EPT, an early pregnancy test. She's like, I'm positive. I'm like, you're positive. What? Because I went and took a PCR on Thursday and the results weren't back, but my rapid was negative on Thursday. So I had a negative rapid, no results from a PCR. We had one home rapid test that my wife used Sunday night on herself. She tested positive. So I took my two kids to our doctor on Monday morning and myself. He gave us rapids and literally within three minutes, he looked down. It's like, congratulations, you're all positive. So the entire Schefter family is on reserve COVID, like much of the NFL. And as we've seen cases spike across the country, across the NFL, across the NBA, uh, we are the latest to go on the list. Didn't miss Monday Night Countdown this past week. Still do the show Monday night. Uh, was feeling symptoms last week, so I expect to be cleared in time to return for the Monday Night Pittsburgh-Cleveland game in Pittsburgh. And also, let me tell you this. I want to thank the inconsiderate gentleman who was in my row on Delta Airlines last Monday morning, the 7 a.m. flight from New York's LaGuardia to Chicago. Because this guy got on the flight, and from the moment he got on the flight, he was wiping his nose, blowing his nose, coughing into his sleeve, taking off his mask to wipe his nose again, okay? The entire flight, two hours. Now, how does somebody in this day and age be that inconsiderate to get on a flight? And I'm looking over, I'm thinking to myself, what is this guy doing? How did he allow himself to step on this flight this morning? Okay, so anybody that knows the sick gentleman I'm talking about, Delta Flight 451 from LaGuardia to Chicago last Monday morning, December 20th. I have no doubt that that's where I got it from. No doubt. Now, the PCR Thursday was negative. That's three days. My doctor told me it usually takes three to five days for the symptoms to show up. So it all matches up. But there's no way that somebody that sick couldn't have somehow infected me in his row. And I was going to say something to the guy. But we're in the middle of the air. What am I going to say? He's going to get off the plane at that point in time? No. So there's nothing I could say. So I want to thank that guy for getting me and my entire family, including my wife, who's a type 1 diabetic, sick uh, over the Christmas holiday, over the New Year's holiday. And I would just say that people should exercise a little bit of social responsibility when we're living through a pandemic. If you feel the need that you have to blow your nose and cough for two straight hours, probably not a good idea to be getting on an airplane. But I digress. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful 
for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Let's get back to week 17 and all the football action ahead this weekend. Should be some tremendous matchups. Fantasy Super Bowl for a lot of people. Good luck to everybody in their fantasy Super Bowls. And as we look ahead, there are some notable matchups with some notable storylines. We get the Giants and Bears this weekend. The Giants win the game. They hurt their own draft position, but they help their draft position because the Giants have the Bears' first-round draft pick after the Bears traded up with the Giants to the 11th pick in the 2021 draft to select Justin Fields. And now the Giants are likely to have two top 10 picks in the same year for the first time in the common draft era since 1967. Big matchup for the Giants this weekend. We get Patrick Mahomes against a former number one overall pick, Joe Burrow, in what probably is maybe the most appealing game of the weekend. But Mahomes has done very well in spots like this, including the playoffs. Mahomes is 5-1, and one, starting opposite quarterbacks who were picked number one overall. And the only loss he suffered, and everybody will remember this game, was that Monday night game where he threw six touchdown passes against Jared Goff and the Rams in 2018 in what was one of the great Monday night games ever played. Ryan Tannehill uh, gets his first career start against the team that traded him away. Miami drafted him eighth overall in 2012. He has the third most touchdown passes in Dolphins history, and now he will get a chance to go up against his former team with Miami playing Tennessee. We get the Raiders and Colts, two teams still vying for the playoffs. Jonathan Taylor can't have enough rushing yards, touchdowns for me this week, him being on one of my playoff teams. Colts have been gritty, tough, really resilient, and they're 3-1 and one in their last four home games after starting 1-3 and three at home. We've got the Texans and 49ers with what right now looks like it might be two rookie quarterbacks with Jimmy Garoppolo having a torn ulnar collateral ligament in his thumb. He's got a fracture in there. Didn't practice on Monday. My guess right now as we record this first thing Tuesday morning is that Trey Lance winds up starting against Davis Mills, Texans 49ers, and the Cardinals-Cowboys Sunday afternoon in what should be a very interesting matchup. Kyler Murray led the Cardinals to a 38-10 win over the Cowboys at AT AT&T Stadium in week six last season and his only other career start versus Dallas when Dak didn't play. And keep in mind, Kyler won three high school state championships at AT AT&T Stadium and also led Oklahoma to a Big 12 championship Jerry's World in 2018. Rams, Ravens, we'll see if Lamar Jackson makes it back. And how about the Rams running back room? Sonny Michelle has emerged as their lead back. They think they could get Cam Makers back at some point here, maybe before the end of the regular season. Daryl Henderson looks like he's done until the playoffs, at the very least, if he even plays again this season. And then Vikings-Packers, as the Packers try to put away the number one seed, the Packers have been the best team in football 
this season in my mind. They are the team to beat right now. Um, the Vikings did beat the Packers in week 11, 34-31 as time expired on a field goal. Aaron Rodgers had four touchdown passes, threw for 385 game, yards in that game. Uh, we'll see, but Rodgers has lost two straight starts to the Vikings. Going back to last season, he's only lost three straight against Minnesota once in his career. That was in 2008 and 2009. And Monday night, we mentioned, we'll be in Pittsburgh, we think, assuming we're cleared, assuming the protocols are adhered to, which according to the Disney people that I spoke to yesterday, they will be. Browns, Steelers, in what will likely be Ben Roethlisberger's final home game at Heinz Field, where he has 97 wins. 256 touchdown passes, including playoffs. He's got a 16-5 and record on Monday Night Football, including 7-0 and at home. He's never lost at home on Monday Night Football. And so this could be, probably will be, the send-off to Ben Roethlisberger on primetime Monday Night. That will be pretty cool to be at, again, assuming that I'm cleared. All right, let's move on to this week's guests, some outstanding guests. Matt Selman, the executive producer of The Simpsons, Brian Kelly, who wrote the episode that I am in Sunday night, January 2nd. These men were kind enough to extend an invitation to me last summer to read some lines. Did that this past summer. And now the episode is getting ready to air. Matt Selman, Brian Kelly. We are all Disney employees. So I appreciate you guys sure. <laughs> for the good of the company, putting me on the Simpsons and coming on the podcast today to talk about right. the upcoming January 2nd episode. We've got today, Matt Selman who's the executive producer of The Simpsons, Brian Kelly, who wrote this specific episode that I'm casting with the one soundbite I had. I watched the episode <laughs> last night, and I got to say, next time you have me, I want more than one line. Is that, is that greedy of me to ask for in advance? Can I, just, can I just tell you, Adam Schefter, you do the most dead-on Adam Schefter impression I've ever heard. Yeah, you really nailed it. Well, thank you. Why, why do you say that, Brian? <laughs> Uh, we didn't know what to expect when we wrote the character Adam Schefter. Uh, and uh, no, you, you nailed it. It's, it's, uh, you pretty much got it on the first take. And, you know, we're supposed to take multiple takes. So we, we made you do a few more. But uh, yeah, it's great. It was, it was so much fun having you on. And, and you were the first person we thought of when we did this episode. You're the only yeah. sport. You're the only sports celebrity in this entire episode of, about right. sports and sports celebrity. If we're not including Grace and Mathers, of course. Well, yes, of course. The, yes. the iconic Grace and right. Mathers. <laughs> so, 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 so let me ask you, Matt, how did you come to me here? We just, well, we needed, I mean, I, I guess let me, the beginning of this thing is that <laughs> Brian and I were texting one night. There's a the long version of that. Yeah, answer. Go ahead. Yep. We were texting one night about how many celebrities had stupid vanity liquor companies. Which is in this, which is which in is, the episode. Which is in the show. And then through the circuitous magic of creativity, it became a show about Marge and Mr. Burns fighting for the soul of a quarterback football prodigy. <laughs> and then and when, the, when the stakes got high in the end of the show, who do you need to bring energy and drama and, you know, what might, might or might not happen to in a, the, the terrifying, exciting world of sports than Adam Schefter, right? Well, I got the call to track the line over the summer. And I got to say, it was the highlight of my summer. Oh, like I don't right. do a lot of fun things, but to get to go into the sound <laughs> studio to track a line or a few lines for the Simpsons was the highlight of my summer. And now we get to see 
the fruits of my very, 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 very brief labor on January <laughs> 2nd. And it's awesome to see how often do you guys get to work with people outside of the Simpsons world that you're working in? Well, we try to, uh, you know, we all became comedy writers to meet famous people. And uh, <laughs> so that's, you know, we use, we basically, every show is an opportunity to meet a famous person you've always wanted to meet. Uh, you just, you gotta be always have the, uh, the radar on, you're always on the lookout. Um, and, uh, you know, especially with, with sports shows, you know, we're just fans, you know, and we, and we love to, to try to, I've tried to get David Ortiz on the show. Oh, that's right. Times. We, we, David Ortiz did pass on this episode, I believe. Yes, what? that's true. Yeah. How come? Uh, I don't know. I mean, he might have a better sense of humor than us. Um, <laughs> might've been busy. I don't know. Uh, this is, I think, the third time. One time, we never went out to him. He, we wrote him, uh, The Simpsons moved to Boston. And uh, there's a, a uh, we, we uh, as a Patriots fan growing up, and Matt, too, we, we, we spared, uh, uh, we pulled no punches dealing with the Patriots. So we dealt, dealt with them as, as uh, joyless cheaters, uh, which hurt a lot, but we did it. Um, and there was a, a subplot in that episode where, uh, where Homer stumbles uh, upon the uh, the Red Sox playing cricket in Fenway Park because Boston has always secretly wanted to return to British rule. And uh, it was insane. And at some point we said, we just we just can't do this. So we but cut also, it. But in that show, we did have David Ortiz speaking with a British accent. Yes. <laughs> so who did the David Ortiz with the British accent? Who Nothing. We just, we, we changed the story. So there wasn't a conspiracy at all. Sadly. Let me tell you something right now. I know somebody that can get David Ortiz for you. Oh, you should have okay, come well, to me. Uh, I know so. I know a, like his sort of gatekeeper, well, a guy by the name of Bardia Shireas, who I'm calling out on this uh, episode. Okay, you well, know Bardia? Well, we do now. Well, you, yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna make this happen for you. I mean, oh, that would that would be a dream come true. If there's certainly, it would be a long recording session. I feel with David Ortiz. To- <laughs> <laughs> you know, but we'll, we'll, we'll get the performance. We'll get it. So who are some of the other celebrities that you've had on that have made an impact on you, Matt? Well, I just was thinking about this before we came on today. You know, we had Tom Brady on the show. I don't remember meeting him or recording him or anything. I think he was just like, he was only like a, a quality of quarterback who would have been in the Hall of Fame one time at that point in his career, as opposed to like maybe a five-time MVP career. So did you interact with Brady, Brian? It didn't. No, it kills me. It kills me. And I didn't meet the Mannings. Uh, I think that was uh, one. We sent one writer to record the Mannings. We, 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 this uh, one I will guy. say. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. No, no. We had Cooper on the show way before this whole Caesars mm-hmm. Alice <laughs> thing, right? <Yep>. So <laughs> that was, we started the Cooper thing. Sorry. Cooper's a funny guy. Yeah, he's great. He's he's fantastic. I think we started the Manning's comedy career when they were all in The Simpsons. Because like now they're like these funny goofballs commenting on the games on ESPN two, and everyone's having fun and joking around. I mean, that's you know that's they did that on our show you know ten years ago. I never realized that The Simpsons, Matt Selman and Brian Kelly, were the ones that launched the Manning's comedy career. Yeah, they hadn't heard of comedy before us. Yeah, they didn't know it existed. They were just these 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 uh, these soulless machines that just threw footballs perfectly, and right. uh, and we we introduced them to the whole idea of joking around and you know having yeah. fun with the game. 
you guys did an excellent job of training them because they are funnier than people realize. They're really mm-hmm. funny. Yeah, they're, they're very funny. Did yeah. you know that when you recorded with them? At the time, I believe, I'll just say this, Cooper was the one having the most fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure the other two who literally were still in the NFL at the time were like loving it as much, but they all were good sports. They're good. That's who they are. They're good sports. Who were some of the other celebrity people that you've had on the show that made a mark with you that stayed with you? Yeah, the coolest one I ever saw was, I think, Mick Jagger. That was amazing. Wow. You know, and uh, and then so Mick came in and recorded and we all, you know, there's there's a recording booth and it was jam packed with people. I mean, there was it was, you know, you had to sort of stand on a chair to see into the booth because it, it was the most exciting thing that had happened at the time. And then uh, Keith Richards came in, but we weren't allowed to, <laughs> to only the most senior writers got to go in, but they recorded it for us. So then we just sat around on Monday and just watched the record. It was spellbound. It was the coolest thing. So how do you get the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards to go do this? I don't know. It was Mike Scully. He uh, was our showrunner for a bunch of years, was just leaving the show at that point to do other things. And this was his like dream episode. He did this uh, episode where uh, Homer goes to like a, a rock and roll camp. Right. And the guests are it's Tom Petty. Uh, is it Brian Setzer? Uh, that's the name, right? Who who Mike loves? The Stray Cats. Um, Stray Cats. Yep. Uh, and then uh, Nick and Keith. Lenny Kravitz. Lenny Kravitz. Yeah. So it's really just and, Mike. And just, isn't El- was Elvis Costello in it? Oh, he I was. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It was a good camp. It's a quality camp. Yeah, I'd say. So all these people. So what was Mick Jagger like? He couldn't have been nicer. He was fantastic. Very very game, which was surprising because you're sort of tiptoeing. You know, you always like. When you get a star of that size, you're really tiptoeing around them. You don't want to offend them. You don't want to like, you don't, because if they have a bad time, they're not going to give a good performance. And you don't want to ask them, you sort of ask them to do increasingly ridiculous things as the record goes on. And you're hoping, you know, you're just sort of judging. When, when they back off, you go, okay, that's it. Then we're not hey, you know to- you got what you need. You got what you need. Now you're going to push the envelope a little bit to now see how much further you little- can push them, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. That's why we had you uh, go on a five-minute rant about uh, insulting Roger Goodell. We thought that, you know, yeah, we, we thought that would be funny. Fun. <laughs> and it but didn't make the episode, it. right? No, yeah, it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's just for it's just for uh, bribery purposes in the future. I mean, Schefter um, is, is a great actor, but people really think of him as a great improviser. You know, <laughs> in terms of like you, know, he's like you put him on curb your enthusiasm. You just let him roll. It would you don't have to write him anything. <laughs> you know, I, what I can't believe though is that you got Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, Elvis Costello, the Manning brothers, Cooper before he was Cooper, and you mm-hmm. can't get David Ortiz. I know. Tom Br- like, that's crazy to me. A lot of sports, some sports people don't know how to laugh at themselves. That's also true. Like, if, What's up you know, with that? I don't know. Like if you watch those online videos of some of the ESPYs and the comedian is on stage telling the kind of semi obnoxious jokes and you just cut to the angry faces in the audience, you know, you just like, maybe they don't laugh at themselves. It's, you know, they work hard. They take themselves seriously. I think some of that is stage, Matt. You know, I've watched replays oh, of that. Interesting, interesting. Oh, yeah. I've watched replays oh, of that. Here we go. You here know we what? Go. I watched Peyton Manning rip on Kevin Durant. Remember that one year mm-hmm. where he was the host of the ESPYs and he takes a shot at Kevin Durant with Russell Westbrook and the cameras are right ready to go to them. And I said to myself, I didn't realize it at first. I said, they had to know this was all mm-hmm. coming. This had to be staged. I'm surprised that men of your stature, of your experience, with the <laughs> Ivy League education <laughs> that you have couldn't figure that out. <laughs> yeah, well, we're all a little naive sometimes. Let me ask you a question. Both of you guys went to Ivy League schools. Matt, you went to Pennsylvania. 
sure. University of Pennsylvania. Brian, you were a physics major at Harvard. How did for, two for like guys? <laughs> that's unbelievable. Physics major at Harvard. You know what that for, tells me? Like that's the the smartest person you could ever come across in your life to be a physics major at Harvard. Like I wish that were tr- I wish that were true. I was a physics major for one day. I literally I went in as a physics major and I sat through one lecture and I said I don't understand a word of this. <laughs> and so I I sort of went down. Uh, I, I got increasingly easy majors until I ended up at the the very. I, I discovered comedy writing my freshman year. They have a great humor magazine there, uh, uh, and and so I discovered I could be a comedy writer, and then I, I liked it and I was good at it. So I just went down, and I ended up as an English non honors graduate. And at that school, like eighty five percent of the people graduate with honors, and and me and all my friends were the were the fifteen percent because we just you know we we, we like we we found writing, and and so it, school suddenly became completely unimportant. So yeah, I I I I, I wasted. Uh, an education. Well, it, I don't think it was wasted. And Matt, you go uh, to Pennsylvania and you go on to become the executive producer of the Sim. How does that happen? How does one go from Pennsylvania, the fine institution that he is, to becoming a writer out in Hollywood for the Simpsons? Well, I don't know if you believe in the multiverse, Adam, <laughs> but I just say I would not run the simulation again. <laughs> like a lot <laughs> of things in the chaotic ping pong ball world of probability had to go right or wrong for me to be in this position today. And I, uh, I don't know, <laughs> just, but I think back of the, how it happened that like you're a kid in college, the Simpsons is on TV. It's your favorite show. It changes the way you see the world, how you think about everything. And then you get to work on it. And then later, maybe you even get to kind of supervise it and put the stories you're excited about on TV. It's just, it seems unreal to me as unreal as Spider-Man, Entering the multiverse in Disney's new <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home. No, I'm just kidding. We're not. Disney's not making us do that. <laughs> but Matt, you've been with The Simpsons since 1997. I know. Right? So that's it, almost 25 years. It's insane. It's a, it's a unicorn situation, Adam. I It freaks me out sometimes to think about it. I, I, I just, you know, every day you come in like it's your first day and try to like, Think what's new, what's original, what haven't we done? Because you can't, you can't get bogged down in the past. The worst thing for thinking of new ideas is looking back at what you did. So how do you think of new ideas? How do they come to you? Well, I just, you know, you just Brian and I would just text about stuff or the other writers, like stuff, dumb stuff we think is funny. And we just keep, keep working on it. You just keep pitching it. Like, you know, there's, there's that, there's two jokes and we wanted to do a whole episode about vanity liquors, but we couldn't figure it out. And then we thought, you know, but the world of how kids, you know, now enter football at such an, a young age and don't have real lives and they just live and breathe football and they don't really have, you know, a normal life. And like, what does that do to them? Like, that's a funny and also emotional situation for like, like a guest character to be in. And then, you know, kind of worked it from there. I but mean, do- you've, ne- you, you've, you've now done it for 25 years and you talked about watching the show. So what is that like to watch the show, to have it mean as much to you to then go to work for it? You know, I try not to think about it. I just try to think like I really want to do things that I think are funny and stories that I think are emotional and, and and, and do things that we haven't done before. That's really important to me. And Brian is like also, and Brian has been, Brian and I have been working together for so long, Adam. It's kind of ridiculous that like, 
we probably spent more time with each other than our wives or kids. Yeah. Because most, <laughs> most people don't have the same job for multiple decades. Yeah. I, when I started working at the show, I, I had, you know, grown a huge Simpsons fan and uh, you know, I heard they were hiring and I, I just said, wow, I really want to go work on the last two seasons of the Simpsons before it's canceled. And that was, that was 20 plus years ago. And, you know, about season seven, I started thinking to myself, well, I should probably take this seriously because it's not going away. And uh, it, it, it's a dream. It's like, you know, because it's, it's such a, just a, like a, it's just a blank canvas every episode, you know, because it, it's animated. You can do whatever you want. Um, although the animators will complain if we put in too many horses, but, you know, you can basically do whatever you want. The horses are hard to draw, apparently. Horses are hard um, to draw. Yeah. But, um <laughs> But uh, yeah, and, and so it, it, it's really a dream and you just, it's, uh, yeah, you sort of have to, you, tr you have to get used to every time, you know, I hope my friends don't listen to this, but every time I'm talking to them, I'm thinking, can I use this as a story? <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> so there's always this thing in the back of your mind because it's so hard to come up with new stuff at this point. Um, and, you know, the, the bar is lowered to, from, it has to be a completely new story to that, the, you know, the emotion in it has to be new. But, you know, maybe we can go back and have the kids play hockey again or something. You know what I mean? Um, because we've done 700 plus episodes. But um, as long as sort of the emotion of the episode is something we haven't like felt before, that's the key. 700 plus episodes. How many more can you guys do together? How many How many more do you want to do together? I'll go forever. It's I love it. Great. It's, it's, I'll it's call, so yeah, let's, let's, let's call their bluff. <laughs> <laughs> Disney gets duped again. Yeah. I mean. I'll, I'll promise you this, Adam. Some version of The Simpsons will be on Disney Plus as long as there is a Disney Plus. <laughs> That's well, for sure. <laughs> so we, as we look back at these careers that span over two decades, what gives you the most pride and satisfaction when you look back at this long historic run of over 700 episodes that you two guys have produced and written together? Well, we didn't kill each other. There you go. That was that's a pretty good feeling. I think it's for me. It's the it's the really difficult episodes. It's you know the we did an episode that was all done in Lego animation. Uh, Matt and I did an episode that was in just in it was set in a fantasy world. The Simpsons lived in a fantasy world, and you know we just took a we every single design in the show had to be altered. You know, and nothing looked like it normally does. Like normally, there's a huge stock of of standard designs, you know, that we get the Simpsons house, how the characters look and everything. This was every single thing that you saw on the screen had to be redesigned from scratch. Um, there was that episode that Matt, you did with uh, Carolyn Omine, who's an amazing writer. Um, that was, you know, when we finally, um, uh, we, we always do a treehouse of uh, the treehouse of horror episode every year, right? That is non-canonical. So it doesn't take place in the Simpsons world. We can do whatever we want and it doesn't impact their lives, right? It's just fantasy. And we decided finally to do an, a real uh, Halloween episode. And this was 20 something seasons in. I don't know why we never thought of it before, but a, a show that actually took place in Halloween. It was really hard. It's, and it was fantastic. It might be the best episode that I've worked on. And it, really? It's just, yeah. It's just that it, it, it's when you come up with something really new and it's hard, you know, that those are the, those are the greatest. Um, and you don't, you, you, you know, you watch them 500 times before they come out. You're so sick of them. So and sick. then, yeah. And then about a year later, you watch it again. You go, oh, my God, this is this is I'm so proud of this. I can't believe this exists. So you're going through it. It's almost like writing a book. I read that book over and over and over and over again to the point where 
I'm so sick of it at the end. I never want to see it again. Like I've never gone and reread any of the books that I've written years later. It's a similar concept with writing and producing an episode of The Simpsons where when you get done, you, it's like I've had four portions of pot. I can't eat anymore. We just, last night we finished the, uh, the, I mean, we're just, mix, on, sorry. the mix on your episode. Uh, sorry, Matt. Uh, last night we finished the mix on, on your episode and I, you know, I just wanted to crawl into bed and it felt great. And then it, I got a text saying there's more work to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just, but eventually they come out, eventually they come out, but you know, that point where you just, you think you're done. You're not quite done. You're not quite done. There's always one more thing to do. So you're sick of hearing my voice coming into this podcast today. You've heard <laughs> it more than you want to. Although, well, I, like I said, I wasn't on very much, so you maybe not that sick of it. You you knew you knew the line. You can't be surprised that you only had one line. You knew you, <laughs> you when you recorded it. You only recorded one line. <laughs> I recorded a paragraph, right? It was like a paragraph, right? Yeah. And there Although, it was. It was one of the great honors of my life to show up in a Simpsons episode. But like, you look what, good. But what's more important, Adam, is that you use everything should be in the service of story. And you push the story forward. If Adam Schefter is commenting on a situation that gives it emotional stakes, like because it's a, it's a kind of a silly episode that you know Marge and Mr. Burns are having a marriage story style divorce over the soul of a semi, perhaps Baker Mayfield esque, you know, kind of naive but hard partying football prodigy, and you know it's like how and then becomes kind of a national story and. You know, you know, your voice you know, elevates the, the emotional reality to, to you know, a very dramatic point. You know, the, the, the only other time I've been in something like this that I could think of, I was in Draft Day, the great movie with Kevin Costner, where the secretary on Draft Day says, uh, you've called from Adam Schefter. And, and he says, tell Adam Schefter to stick it up his ass. So I was disappointed <laughs> not to have Homer Simpson say something of that magnitude to me in this particular episode. But mm -hmm. We'll go on. We'll go on. That is an incredibly watchable movie, Draft Day. Like, you just like, well, I'm not going to watch this. And then you just watched it. <laughs> and, I mean, I've, seen it. I, I've seen it like five or six times. Draft Day? Every time it's on, I cannot tear myself away from it. The, something the absurd, so weird. It's so weird about it. Yeah. The absurdity of this, like, I think he turns one first round pick into into 50 first rounders and 300 second rounders. <laughs> it's the most insane trading. Like, he drafts was. an entire expansion team from one first round pick. It's amazing. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny about it is I do a weekly radio spot in Denver every Thursday morning with Mike Evans and Mark Schlereth, two guys there. And as they bring me on, the intro to my thing is Kevin Costner's soundbite from the movie every single week. <laughs> and there's never not a time when I don't smile and laugh when I hear it. Like, I forget it's coming. I do it every week. I hear it every week. And I still forget that it's coming. And there's the line. And it makes me laugh again. From, from the guys who produce and write The Simpsons and have done it for over two decades now, how do you define and spell out the spot that The Simpsons has in our society? Well, I I I'll, you, I'll use a metaphor, a boring yeah. metaphor, which is it's I would say <laughs> Simpsons is a highway that everyone has driven on at some point in their life. You know, like every, everyone, almost everyone has at some point watched the show or has a relationship with the show, maybe with 25 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, maybe now when some of our most passionate fan bases like kids in fourth and fifth and sixth grade 
you know, and they, they have different relationships with it and they've been on the highway, they've been off the highway, but it's sort of, it's sort of amazing to know we're working on a highway that everyone has driven on. Brian. Yeah. Um, for me, it was, uh, uh, I met Will Shorts who edit, edits the New York times crossword puzzle, which I'm kind of obsessed with. And, uh, he told me that the two areas of pop culture that he felt he could always ask questions about were the Beatles and the Simpsons, which was amazing. Wow. I mean, that's, that's a pretty cool thing to say. Um, and again, I say this, I'm, you know, if, if, if the Simpsons is a highway, we are the road crews that keep it repaired. We're not the ones who built it. Right. Yeah, We, we so, didn't build the highway. We maintain yeah. the highway. We maintain the highway. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, Matt Groening, Jim Brooks, Sam Simon, Al Jean, Mike Reese. They, they built the highway. Well, kudos, kudos to them. Could we ever bridge together the Simpsons and the Beatles and get Paul McCartney on a Simpsons episode? Has that ever happened? It has. Paul McCartney is the reason that Lisa is a vegetarian. He, uh, yeah, he, when he, my, Matt, this is way before my time, right? This yeah, before my, ago, but before so. my time. Right. It was early, early on. And uh, so I, unless I'm getting the story wrong, I, I think that we asked Paul McCartney to come on the show. They asked. I say, I say we like a sports fan. It's like, you know, yeah, they're the Patriots. We won last night. This is not we. This is they. They asked him to come on the show. And he said, yes, but his condition was that if Lisa, that Lisa become a vegetarian and stay a vegetarian. So we, we and we've honored that ever since because it's Paul McCartney. Wow. So that's that's the reason she doesn't eat meat. Wow. Wow. And before I let you guys go, is there any chance that if the Patriots were to give you an extended Super Bowl run here that that Mac Jones would be appearing on The Simpsons at some point? Definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> it would def- I mean, yes. <laughs> I mean, we want, I mean, I want to, I want a Brady Patriots Super Bowl, right? That's yeah. the dream Super Bowl that everyone, everyone, everyone in America, hundred percent of everyone in America wants to see Buccaneers Patriots rematch Brady, Brady Belichick bowl. And if that were granted to you, and if the Patriots could find a way to beat Tom Brady, would Mac Jones be worthy of a significant role in an upcoming Simpsons episode? For sure. He's already worthy. He's already worthy. He's already? A, oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, we're, we're, there, there's not an athlete on our staff. We were in awe of these people. I know. <laughs> you know, we could, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You know, some third string quarterback we'd be honored, honored to have on the show. We're, I think these people, I are, think- these people are amazing. Matt Selman, executive producer of The Simpsons, Brian Kelly, who wrote this particular episode for The Simpsons, the men who have been behind The Simpsons for well over two decades and 700 episodes. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for the opportunity to appear on the show. And happy holidays and new year to you and your families. Thanks, Thanks Adam. You too, Adam. Thanks so yeah, much for doing this. You're fun. You're the, you're, you're, you're the funnest. <laughs> you say that to all your guests except David no, Ortiz. I don't say that. <laughs> one day, one day we'll say that to David Ortiz. One, yeah. I'm on that. I'm on that. Right. And I'll let you guys know. All right. Nothing would make me happier. All right. That'd good. be so great. Thank you guys. Thanks, buddy. All right. Take care. I am. There's the Simpsons executive producer Matt Selman, Simpsons writer Brian Kelly, and you could just hear their brains whirring the whole time, right? These are funny guys, and they have been masters at their craft. For an awful long time. From them onto the beat writer for the Dallas Morning News, a man who essentially came up with champion causes, which allows people who play fantasy football and especially win at fantasy football to donate to the charities of their favorite 
football players. The beat writer for the Dallas Morning News, my colleague and friend, Michael Gelkin. Michael. Adam, how are you doing? How are you doing? I'm doing so well. How are you? Thank you very much for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for, for doing this. I've sent you notes in the past, and you know how much I admire what you do at this time of the year. And I figured, you know what? I want to shine a light on this. I want to promote it even more. And I want to bring people's attention to this great thing that you do. And let me also say this. There are many times I look at somebody and say, man, I'm jealous I didn't think of that idea. <laughs> but you know what? I'm jealous I didn't think of this idea, Michael. Why don't you tell the listening audience today what it is that I'm referring to before we get into a further discussion about it? Sure. So since late 2016, uh, December holiday season, fantasy football championships, I've curated a list of players who fantasy managers own in their team and are very successful because they own these players on our team and a list of philanthropic causes that these specific players support. And I've always thought about it as kind of like if you're in Las Vegas and you've had a hot hand, you tip your blackjack dealer before you walk away from the table. There's a spirit, there's an energy that I think is applicable to the fantasy community. And so while being very mindful with my tone that it's certainly not a requirement and by all means, you win your fantasy league, keep your winnings, God bless you. But if you find the, you know, the spirit to donate a portion of your winnings to the cause of a player who helped you win your league, here are causes that you're, player supports and feel free to donate a portion of your winnings and uh, fans have just completely run with the concept. Um, it's difficult to calculate exactly how much uh, in terms of money. Uh, and I can go into greater detail about some of the success that we've seen. This will be our sixth year uh, doing it. Um, but it's been really, really neat to see the concept be so warmly embraced. So sixth year, and you mentioned, you don't know the specific numbers, but how do you know and how can you gauge the success it's had? So that first year, it was, it was very organic. It was just an idea putting out into the world. And so I would receive messages from different nonprofit organizations that were on that list of, you know, athlete causes, and, you know, thanking me for, you know, putting the, you know, the word out there and, and all that. And people such as you and Matthew Berry uh, from ESPN have been so huge in just offering your platform, such as you are right now. Uh, to this concept. And so that was year one. And then year two, the buildup just kind of grew. And I started to perceive, you know, people who asking, you know, am I going to do that again with, with the, the, the list of causes? And certainly I, I was. And so this time it had a name where I called it champion causes. And Todd Gurley had a fantastic season that year. And the cause that he supported for my cause, my cleats was Shriners Hospitals for Children. After fantasy playoffs were, you know, done, and even as they were still kind of going on, they just started receiving donation after donation after dono donation. And, and Todd Gurley's name kept on showing up on these donations. And I talked to the woman from Shriners Hospitals for Children. She's not a football fan. She was like, "Who is this person, Todd Gurley?" And like, Todd Gurley, and, and did he die? I mean, what 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 is this? And so more than $50,000 was raised for that specific cause of, of Todd Gurley or, or Triners Hospitals for Children in, in, in the name of Todd Gurley. And uh, the next year we had um, uh, just, it, it, it kind of just grew even more where we saw people 
take this concept of uh, donating to players' causes. Uh, they applied it outside of fantasy football. And so we had, like, in, in the playoffs, you know, well, Bills fans donated first more than $360,000 to Andy Dalton's foundation when the Bills qualified for the playoffs. Um, so that was at the end of the 2017 season. Um, and then it just uh, there was a lot more acts like that where Vikings fans donated over $220,000 to Saints punter Thomas Morstead's foundation. Um, and then he then turned around and donated that money to Children's Hospital in Minnesota. Uh, we've seen Bills fans be the most active of all, um, not just what they did with Andy Dalton's foundation, um, but what they've done with, you know, Senator Eric Wood retired. And they donated more, more than $35,000 to his cause. We've seen the Patricia Allen uh, fund uh, at the hospital in Buffalo, more than $1.1 million. I'm always very careful of tying one to the other. You know, this is just a fantasy football campaign, but I do think the way that it's kind of sprung out and evolved, uh, you know, fans donating for players for non-fantasy reasons is probably not by coincidence. And last year uh, was kind of the, the for just a pure fantasy sense was the biggest campaign that we've had thus far where, Alvin Kamara tied an NFL record that dates back more than 80 years by having six rushing touchdowns on Christmas day, uh, during week 16, which it'll be week 17 this year, but week 16 was fantasy football championship. So if you owned Alvin Kamara, you probably won your fantasy league last year, if you were in the playoffs and uh, his cause was son of the Saint, which benefits fatherless boys in new Orleans. And they, uh, were the recipients of about $75,000 in donations uh, from fantasy football managers. And that money, I spoke with the uh, owner, uh, that Cowboys reporter, and the Cowboys were in town, New Orleans, on December 2nd. So I stayed in town, was able to meet with Sonny Lee, who, who owns a Son of a Saint, uh, runs it. And he said that that was, you know, it, it was that those funds were applied to, to buy a, a bus, which helped with transfer, or pardon me, a van which helped with transportation for these kids as the program doubled in size. And it wouldn't double because of the fantasy, uh, you know, donations, but it was supported in part because of the fantasy donations. And, uh, you know, with Hurricane Ida, there was, just, it, it was, it was, the funds were put to great use, uh, benefiting uh, boys in New Orleans who were able to receive a mentorship. And so those are the, the cases that you see along the way. There are all these great causes that NFL players support. And through the generosity of fantasy managers, uh, we're able to shine a light on those causes and ultimately support those causes. Now, you cover the Dallas Cowboys for the Dallas Morning News on a full-time basis. But how much of this job and this list with these charities takes over your job and cuts into your time with your regular job? Yeah, it, it gets busy in December, like around you know now and, and for recent you know days and weeks. I, I've, I'm curating this list. I'm reaching out to teams. I'm reaching out to agents. Sometimes speaking directly to family members. I want to make sure that I, I, I get the right cause for each player, and I'm identifying the right players. And so it's a you know it becomes a bit of its own job. But honestly, I kind of in the back of my mind, part of me just thinks that there's so much meat on the bone where I'm only devoting you know, a certain number of days or weeks to this every year. And there's daily fantasy, there's other sports, you know, and, and you know, with, with gambling and, and, and that, you know, in terms of legalization increasing, you know, I think it's, you know, the whole idea of, of people who win money because of something that happens on the field and want to donate. I think that spirit of donating is more prevalent and it, it needs to be better tapped into. And so if there's someone who's listening to this and has the infrastructure in place, I'm all for it. 
Uh, I want to. I want to partner with you, Michael. Seriously, like how how could I help you help this? I mean, it's it's a great idea, and I would love to have the conversation about how to expand the reach of this idea. Um, I, I think you know ultimately, if if there are corporate sponsors who want to you know donate uh, you know a certain amount of money each year to you know say for ESPN or whatever the the, the you know the you know the the fantasy uh, company is um, you know which player was on the highest percentage of championship teams and whatever that player is identify that person's cause and here's x number of dollars that goes toward that player I think that's an example of how we can pull in more people to do more on this front um, you know ultimately for me and I don't talk much about this publicly but the reason why I got the idea back in 2016 on this is that I had a friend uh, named David Oaks. Uh, he's, he was my grade in high school, my age, born four days after me. And it, in October of 2016, he was diagnosed with stage four brain cancer and inoperable you know, glioblastoma tumor. And he was one of those people who you just meet and you associate with kindness. You know, there's certain people in, in, in different walks of life that you just, you meet that person, you're like, that's just a good person. And everyone loves that person. Everyone loved David Oaks. And when I found out that he got diagnosed with brain cancer, it just put me in this mental space of just being, you know, shocked and wanting to do something positive. And he's the reason that I wasn't even in the headspace at all to take, you know, my love and interest in fantasy sports and my understanding that these athletes are people who believe in causes you know, that, you know, interpersonal interaction, that's part of my job. Um, he kind of, there's a reason why those two got aligned and why this idea came about. And so I, I think this cause, you know, this idea, this campaign of, of fantasy football that, you know, we're continuing, it's so much in his spirit where it's just all about kindness. And if you're in a position to spread that kindness, please, here's a way to do so. And that spirit for me, it's, it, I, I want to, it pushes me to, to do more and do more because we lost David. You know, he, he fought cancer for two years and, and did so well. And he was able to see this whole thing come to life. But um, I, I just think in honoring him and honoring the legacy and honoring the spirit that he represents, uh, there's still a lot more that we can do. So champion causes lives on in the memory of David Oaks. Correct. I'm happy. I want to do whatever I can to partner up with you. If you're open to that, okay. I am volunteering my services. I would love that. Because I think this is just a tremendous thing. So where can people find the list, Michael, so that they know how to support somebody who supported them in the fantasy championships and playoffs? So on Sunday, January 2nd, that's the big day for fantasy football, where most of the you know, 15 of the 16 NFL games for week 17 are played on that day. And so that morning on my Twitter account, uh, Gelkin NFL, I will post a list of you know, dozens of, of players and causes, and I'll be mindful with which players I'm selecting, you know, believing that, you know, they're the ones with the most success on the field this season and for most use for fantasy players. And then I have a kind of a, it's really dormant for most of the year. It's, it's, it's at champion causes. And I just, I have that account so that I can respond directly to people who are asking where they can, you know, donate for a certain player uh, without clogging my timeline of people who follow me for strictly Cowboys information. Um, so uh, mostly, though, Galkin NFL, uh, that will be where the list is on Sunday morning, January 2nd. To be part of this, I think, change in how people who are in fantasy leagues talk to or refer to athletes and see athletes, 
I, I think is a really, really neat thing. And so that's, that's been a real fun part of this for me. You know, what's interesting as you say that it makes me think a guy like Austin Eckler, who could lead people to fantasy championships this year, embraces the idea that he is as popular in the fantasy community as he is. And he's aware of people rostering him and what it means to them to win a fantasy championship. And yet there are other players, many that I've spoken to, one that comes to mind that I'm thinking of right now from a Monday night game this year, where he was complaining to me about how people fill his timeline. You didn't get me a touchdown. You didn't come through for me. You stink. And the guy was complaining about it. I know I would venture to say that that is the mindset of more players than not, where it makes them feel less fulfilled, less satisfied, people ripping on them. They don't need to hear it when they don't perform or produce. They know it. And yet fantasy means so much to so many people. I play in two fantasy football leagues. I'm obsessed with it. I love it. I love it as much as anybody. And yet people don't recognize that the players are humans and that they're not doing their job to get you fantasy points, even though we all love that. And that there is a greater purpose here. And that's why what you do to me matters so much and shines a great light on what these guys can do and how fans can interact with athletes. And as you said, it just ties it all together with a nice pretty bow. And as we start the new year, I just figured, you know what? Let's bring people's attention to champion causes, to David Oaks, to the great good that you do for people and all the good that fantasy winners and even people who play in the fantasy playoffs can do with causes across the country. Yeah. Thank you so much um, for all that. And this platform that you're providing me, I think the, the light that it shines on this is going to help it reach more people. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's the whole thing's very touching. And I think it's just, again, that generosity and that spirit that is responsible for this idea's outset, I think continues uh, every year. And so it's, it, it's really just, Personally, I'm just grateful to have a part in it. But those who, who run with the concept, donate toward it, um, shine a light toward on it. It's it's me. It's 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 just something. There's something magical about it. It's fitting that fantasy football's championships overlap with the holidays because I think the the intertwining of those two themes is, is very much consistent. Again, champion causes in memory of David Oaks, Michael Gelkin from the Dallas Morning News, the man who thought of this, the man who. I hope is open-minded enough to partner with me here going forward on this concept. Thank you very much for the time today. I really appreciate it. And we will be talking about this. Can't wait. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm taking you up on that. And so I would encourage everybody, if you win any money in fantasy football this year, and even if you don't win any money, to seek out the men who help make that possible, the players who put the points on your board, and put some money into their charities. Every little bit helps. And in a season of giving, that is a noble gesture. Michael Gelkin is the man that created it. I want to help him further it. We will continue those conversations to see if there's any aid and assistance I can provide. And I just love that idea and love the cause. And as we get ready to big goodbye to 2021, the one thing that I always like to do is I keep just like you keep a journal, I keep a running track of people who lost their lives in that particular year. And I like to post their names on New Year's Eve to just make a little point that they're not forgotten, that 
they'll always be remembered. And this was a year, 2021, in which we lost so many great individuals that in some way or another touched my life, moved me at one point, helped further football. And it started right away at the beginning of 2021. And when you see the list of names, right, you're like, wow, that's a lot of people. But we lost this past year, Floyd Little, a great Broncos back, Paul Westfall, who had a tremendous mark on the NBA, Tommy Lasorda, a great man of character, Don Sutton, a great pitcher, Ted Thompson, who had a huge role in making the Packers what they are today, Hank Aaron, a man who was as accomplished off the field as he was on the field, which is saying something. What a tremendous man. What a tremendous loss. My friend Tony Jones, the former Broncos offensive tackle, what a great guy he was. Larry King, who I listened to growing up, just incredible. John Chaney, Leon Spinks, Chris Westling from NFL Media, Pedro Gomez from ESPN, a pro. He's missed tremendously. Marty Schottenheimer, great NFL coach. Therese Paler, a man who lost his life way before he should have. A guy who had greatness in front of him. Just tremendous. The great NFL receiver, Vincent Jackson. Lewis Nix III. Irv Cross, a trailblazer on NFL pregame shows. Mike Pearl, another pregame show legend. Mark Pavlich, a part of the U.S. Olympic gold medal hockey team. Marvin Hagler, great boxer. Elgin Baylor. Howard Schnellenberger. Ben Dreith, great official. Cole Brennan former Hawaiian NFL quarterback, Joe Valerio, the man who created the sports reporters, the first show that I ever did on ESPN. He invited me on and I might not be in the spot I am today were it not for the great Joe Valerio. Mm. Jim Fossil, who was a former NFL head coach for the Giants, who was an offensive coordinator for the Broncos when I was in Denver, who coached John Elway in college. Many conversations with Jim, a great man. Terry Donahue, Alex Gibbs, the former Broncos offensive line coach, a man I loved, a man who had so much life. Loved that guy. Biz Markle, Greg Knapp, another former Broncos assistant coach who lost his life way before he should have. J.R. Richard, Bobby Bowden, the sports reporter Jay Greenberg, Joe Walton, former NFL head coach, Floyd Reese, former GM, Rod Gilbert, a hockey great, Keith McCants, a former number one overall pick. David Patton, a key contributor on the Patriots Super Bowl teams. Tunch Ilkin, who everybody in Pittsburgh knows what he meant. Tara Deeker of NFL Media. Mick Tinglehoff, former Vikings offensive lineman. Otis Armstrong, former Broncos running back, great man. Colin Powell. Mike Lucci. Michael Johnson. Sam Huff. Steve Smith. Curly Culp. Lee Elder. Otis Anderson Jr., Tate Meyer, Tate Meyer. Oh, what a tragedy that was in Michigan. Claude Humphrey, Mark Pike of the Buffalo Bills, Al Lunser, and how about Demarius Thomas, who would have turned 34 on Christmas Day. Some of the great people that we lost in 2021, some of the names and people will always remember and as we get to turn the calendar ahead to a new year, I just wanted to remind people of them one more time. 
All right. I want to thank all the people that were kind enough to come on this podcast throughout the year. Were it not for them, this would not be possible. I want to thank the people today, Matt Selman, Brian Gelly, Michael Gelkin, for coming on the last podcast of 2021. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for spending so much of her time and energy on this particular production this entire year. And I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us again as we continue to work to make this podcast better. I believe we've done that. I believe we try to give you something each week that is worth putting on. And we will continue to try to do that in 2022. Until then, wishing everybody a very happy and healthy new year. Happy 2022.